Welcome to the official podcast for the Society of Urodynamics, Female Pelvic Medicine, and Urogenital Reconstruction. Here you will find podcasts highlighting clinically relevant topics, ongoing SUFU initiatives, SUFU member highlights, and much, much more. Welcome back to the Sufu Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Rena Malik, urologist at University of Maryland School of Medicine. I'm here with Dr. Jaspreet Sandhu, attending urologist at Memorial Sloan Kettering, as well as the program director of the Pelvic Reconstruction and Voiding Dysfunction Fellowship. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rena. Great to be here. So could you start off by telling us a little bit about your fellowship? Sure. So our fellowship is a uh, reconstruction female pelvic medicine and male pelvic medicine fellowship. It's a one-year fellowship uh, supported by our GME, so not ACGME accredited. That's our local GME that supports it. Uh, It's a combination of male and female, more so related to complex voiding dysfunction because Memorial Sloan Kettering, as, uh, as I'm sure you know, is a cancer center, so we deal with a lot of cancer complications, so a fair amount of survivorship. Um, some people consider me the complication surgeon because I, if, if anything goes wrong after surgery, so after prostate surgery, after radical hysterectomy, after colorectal surgery, ureteral injury, et cetera, all those are things that we deal with. Similarly, after radiation therapy uh, or sometimes even after cancer in situ, so we're involved with, with larger sections where there's urinary tract involvement where we have to put it back together, hence pelvic reconstruction. So we consider ourselves truly a pelvic reconstructive fellowship. Our office-based practice is more um, non-operative, so office-based you deal with a lot of complications of of cancer, so a lot of post-radical surgery voiding dysfunction, a lot of post-prostatectomy incontinence, a lot of in situ prostate cancer or in situ uh, uh, gynecologic cancers or colorectal cancers, which, as you know, can lead to a fair amount of urinary dysfunction, particularly retention and so forth. Uh, we deal with all that in the office setting. It's, a, it's incredibly busy. We have two staff members, uh, myself and Laura Letty, who are part of the fellowship. We also have four extenders, so nurse practitioners and PAs. Fellows pretty much spend most of their time nowadays in the operating room because I operate three days and Laura operates two to three days a week. So it's difficult for them to get out to our outpatient uh, areas, but they're they're certainly welcome to do that. And it's a busy practice. You learn about urodynamics, you learn about uh, Botox, uh, neuromodulation, all that is, is in the office setting, as well as evaluating and managing over, complex overactive bladder cancer survivorship. That's great. How many, um, so you mentioned the two faculty. Are there other faculty in other disciplines or other rotations that your fellows work with? Yes. So not rotations, but other uh, faculty members. So there's about 10 colorectal surgeons that we work with. Um, Generally, we get, so if there's a larger section coming up, either me or Laura will get an email and we'll look at the images and we'll usually manage this over the phone. But the fellows are involved with with the reconstruction, that's with colorectal. Gynoc, very similarly, does the same thing. A, a unique thing with ours is we do anywhere from about 20 or so sacrocolpopexies a year that are done at the time of cancer resection. So these are patients who have prolapse to begin with. So all we have, we have about 10 gynecologic oncology surgeons. They all know us, and whenever they have something like this coming up or somebody with garden variety incontinence who hasn't had radiation, they call us and we get involved with that. So that's a combined case where they do the hysterectomy or debulking and we do the sacrocolpopexy, usually robotically, but sometimes with, um, with, with open cases as well. 
That's great. That's a very unique opportunity for fellows who are looking for something more complex like that. Um, so as far as the breakdown of surgeries that you're doing, can you give an estimate of how much you know, uh, reconstruction versus maybe overactive bladder surgery or a male uh, reconstructive surgery you're doing? Uh, so, so reconstruction, when it comes to large abdominal pelvic reconstruction, is hard to quantify. We probably do, on average, three to four cases a month um, of those, and those are very big cases. Uh, when we're helping other people, uh, probably an additional uh, three or so, so maybe anywhere from five to ten a month of those. In terms of our bread and butter practice, we do a lot of post-prostatectomy incontinent surgery. So, you know, I, I do some, anywhere between 40 to 50 sphincters a year and have been for the last you know, many years. Uh, Laura is probably doing close to that now, maybe 20 to 30 uh, last year. So together we do a fair amount of artificial sphincters and, and a smaller but, but reasonable number of male slings. Female sacral copepexies, we do, like I said, a fair amount. We do, a, a, you know, there is a, one of my areas of interest coming into this practice was BPH, so I do a fair amount of BPH surgery as well. So a fair amount of laser procedures. We have started doing robotic simple uh, prostatectomies, as well as just managing patients. So as an outpatient, just managing those guys. So the breakdown is roughly, in my practice, probably 55, 45, male, female, and Laura is maybe the other way around, maybe 55, 45, female, male. Um, but it's, it's, it's spread out. We do, we do a, a host of things. Uh, less of the overactive bladder surgery. Now, unless you include Botox. If you include Botox, we consider that just a procedure in the office. We don't really consider that surgery. But if you include Botox, then potentially we're getting up there. But as far as sacral neuromodulation or augmentation cystoplasty, we don't do a lot of those. Uh, we do a fair amount of, I mean, we do a lot more ureteral reimplants. We probably do anywhere from 30 to 40 ureteral reimplants a year among the two of us. Um, so it's a lot of upper tract and lower tract surgery. I don't go anywhere near the kidneys or anything, pyeloplasties and so forth. I, I, I send off to our kidney guys, uh, but most everything else we do. And generally it's open. Uh, there are, we've done some robotic reconstruction. Uh, but the robot is generally reserved for sacral copepexies or, open, or simple prostatectomies. Okay, great. And then um, what are the research requirements for your fellows, or are there? There are no research requirements. There are, most fellows do do clinical research at the very least. Um, so Memorial has this infrastructure in place, which makes it very easy to do clinical research. Uh, we have a... Uh, a, a bioinformatics group which works only with urology. We have a database managers which only work with urology. We have editors that work only with urology. So if you want to do something, you just have to think of it, come to me, and we, we come up with a plan, put it together. The data managers pull out the data. You write the introduction and the, and the discussion. Essentially, the methods are written by the statisticians. And it's actually very simple to do a paper. So people know that. And most of our fellows, we've had 12 fellows so far, the great majority, I'd say 10 of them, have gone into academic medicine, and that's one of the reasons they like to write papers. So if, if you have the opportunity to write with you know, our, our infrastructure, why would you not? The other, the other excellent opportunity is working with the oncologist. So a lot of the prostate cancer guys, the bladder cancer guys, they want our help. Uh, and they're more than happy for my fellows to work with them, and they do, uh, or the oncology fellows working with us. So I do a reasonable amount of research with the oncology fellows, surgical oncology fellows. We have eight or so 
per year. So, and it's a two-year fellowship, so we have anywhere from 15 to 20 uh, at any given time. So all those guys will work with my fellow, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fertile area to, to, to look into. Plus, our volume is so high that if you've got a specific question with relation to, say, post-prostatectomy incontinence, we can almost, almost certainly answer that in a single institution series. So, so that's the huge advantage that we have. Well, that's, that's a lot of tremendous support, fantastic opportunity for the fellows who go there. Um, what do you think, you mentioned a lot of strengths, but what do you think your biggest strength is? So our biggest strength is the ability to deal with complex uh, situations and manage them. So figuring out management strategies is the biggest thing because each patient is unique. Uh, and, you know, we say this all the time, and I believe in standardized pathways. I'm a big believer in that. But there are some patients that don't fit any pathway coming in. And our, my goal is to teach my fellows how to think, this, think things through. So <clears throat> that starts with the history, the imaging. We look at imaging very closely. In fact, imaging is, is a huge part of our fellowship. So whenever somebody comes in with, say, a sarcoma, and we have four sarcoma surgeons, so we work with all of them. Somebody comes in with a sarcoma that's deviating the ureter and is taking up the entire pelvis, but you can see the bladder and you can see the urethra and you figure it's just stretched and you can save it. Most people would not think of that. We actually have done it and we know, well, we know how to look at the images and figure out whether or not it's invading certain organs or not. And teaching fellows that particular thought process is, I think, the biggest strength that we have in our fellowship because that's difficult to do because when these patients come in, they're often deemed unresectable elsewhere, and and we say, well, you can preserve everything. So some of the things we do aren't really big resections. They're more like trying to preserve uh, function in the, urinary, in the urinary tract, and that is that is truly something that I haven't seen anywhere else. That's fantastic and, and really valuable information yeah. for fellows to learn. Is there anything that you see changing in the future or things that you wish would uh, hope to improve moving forward? So recently we got GME funding. So last year we have fully funded fellowship because the hospital saw the benefit in our fellowship before it was, was funded by the service. So that's one part that's out of the way. The next, we are, we, and, and one of the reasons we got funding is we're so busy. So I can see us expanding. Uh, I can see us adding another faculty member maybe next year. So we'll have probably have three faculty members with one fellow that's uh, probably spread a little thin, but it's all at one hospital. So that's the huge advantage of our fellowship is you don't have to go anywhere. You're at one hospital. You operate at one place. You might have divergent thinking when it comes to providers, but... Uh, in terms of what you do, it's all in one place. You just have a lot more to do, which I think is going to be is going to be good for the fellow. That's great. So tell me, for the few people who've never been to New York, what is it like <laughs> living in New York or being a fellow in New York? So I came from North Carolina, and New York is a wonderful place to live. It, it is one of the few places where you can do anything. I know people are scared sometimes when they hear about <laughs> the size and they look at the buildings. But New York is a very local town. So you stay, ours is on the Upper East Side, and I never see the NYU guys. They're 20 blocks down, 30 blocks down. I never see the Columbia guys. They're Sinai guys. They're 20, 60 blocks up. It's not far. That's a mile, right? I mean, think about it. That's a, that's a mile or two miles away. But New York is such a local place that you're, you're pretty much confined to your few blocks, but with the ability to go anywhere. So the subway allows you to go pretty much anywhere. Subways are very safe. They're, New York is by far the safest big city in the country. Great. Well, thank you so much. I think you gave a lot of information about your fellowship. It seems like a great, exciting fellowship. So much. Thank you, Raina. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's episode on the Sufu Podcast. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast streaming app, 
We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter with our handle at SuFuOrg, where we'll provide real-time updates of our next podcast episode launch. And be sure to check us out on our website, www.sufuorg.com.